Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're excited to present a panel discussion with the creative team of the NYFF 61 Main Slate selection, Poor Things. The conversation features director Yorgos Lanthimos, production designers James Price and Shona Heath, composer Jerskin Fendricks, costume designer Holly Waddington, writer Tony McNamara, and sound designer Johnny Byrne in discussion with NYFF Artistic Director Dennis Lim. Poor Things is now playing in select theaters and will open nationwide on December 22nd. In his boldest vision yet, iconoclast auteur Yorgos Lanthimos, previously featured at the New York Film Festival with The Lobster and The Favorite, creates an outlandish alternate 19th century on the cusp of technological breakthrough in which a peculiar, childlike woman named Bella, played by Emma Stone, lives with her mysterious caretaker, the scientist and surgeon Godwin Baxter, played by Willem Dafoe. At once poignant and grotesque, Poor Things, based on a 1992 novel by Alasdair Gray, is a punkish update of the Frankenstein story that becomes a deeply feminist fairy tale about women taking back control of their own bodies and minds. Following the world premiere of Episodes 1, 2, and 3 at the 61st New York Film Festival, Film at Lincoln Center has been pleased to present the remaining seven episodes from Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie's genre-defying, righteously funny new series, The Curse. Don't miss our screenings of Episodes 6 and 7 this Thursday, December 14th, Episodes 8 and 9 on Thursday, December 28th, and the series finale on Thursday, January 12th, all at 7 p.m., before they screen on air. Get tickets at filmlink.org curse. Select screenings will feature co-creator and co-star Benny Safdie. Now please enjoy the conversation with Yorgos Lanthimos and the creative team of Poor Things. Thank you all for being here. I think they like the film. Um, I'm really glad that you're here, Tony, because I know a few days ago that would not have been possible. So um. yes, I'm very glad to be. Here. <laughs> and um, I guess since since this is your first Q and A, as you told me for this film, I thought maybe we'll start with um, the script and the book, and maybe Yorgos and Tony, you can talk a little bit about. Alistair Gray's novel. He passed away a few years ago, but you, this this film has been in the works for a while, and you actually were able to to meet with him um, before he died. Yeah, I met him uh, around 2011, I think. Um, I, I I read the book like a a year before or so, and I I was very excited to to find out that it was it hadn't been adapted into a film, which surprised me. Uh, and I sought out to to meet him, and I went to Glasgow to his house, uh, met him. He was a wonderful, very energetic, uh, around 80 years old. Uh, as soon as I met him, he just took me out walking to Glasgow. I had to, like, try and keep up with him. He was just showing me around, very excited. And by the end, we just went back to his house and said, like, Okay, I've seen your film, Dogtooth. I think you're a very talented young man. You're welcome to uh, make my film, uh, my novel into a film. Okay, bye. And then he just, you know, just uh, left. Um, uh, yeah. 
and it just took a while um, to 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 put it together. Uh, I think people weren't so eager at that time for me to make a film of this that is right scale. After Dog Tooth or? It was right after. I think I had just made Alps. I don't know if it was seen or um, at, at the time. So I hadn't made an English language film, certainly nothing of, of this scale. So I think, you know, one reason was that. The other reason was, I guess, this story wasn't as interesting like 12 years ago or something. Um, Why would you? I don't know. If you were to guess. <laughs> I've, you know, like I wanted to make it. Um, you know, I think we're we're in it we live in different times and you know a story of a woman that you know goes into the world in her own terms and mm -hmm. you know this journey what I, i guess didn't feel that interesting maybe the premise was quite strange too <laughs> you it wasn't last year though <laughs> so i don't know you said you were surprised it hadn't been made into a film what was it about the book that seemed especially cinematic to you I mean, it's 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 a really special uh, novel. Uh, it's uh, well, I was certainly um, ca you know completely captivated by the character Bella Baxter. I was like, you know, imagine bringing that person to life. Like it, it would be incredible. But uh, you know, the whole the tone of the of the novel, the the story, the premise, the world that it created, the other characters, the themes. Uh, it was just. Uh, Incredible, I thought. Yeah, Tony, maybe we can we can bring you in and you can talk a little bit of the process of of adapting it and and certain things that you maybe needed to to change or or, or what was it what was important for you to actually preserve in, from um, the book? Yeah, I think when I Yorgos, I think I'd done a bit of a couple of drafts of the favorite, and Yorgos said, "I've got this other thing that no one wants to do." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but maybe you want to do it, and then I read it, and I was, it is an amazing book. And then it was, um, I think the biggest thing was how to adapt it because it's quite a massive book. It's, it's, it's quite extraordinary and has all this kind of stuff about Scottish nationalism. It's about a lot of things. Um, and it's in by character and Bella's last. And I think the biggest thing we, we decided was, because um, in the book it's, it's sort of her story is told through the men telling her story. And at the end it, she gets to tell it quite briefly. And so the first thing I guess we wanted to do was change that and bring her as the centre of the movie and have it, that's who you went on the journey with. Um, that was kind of the biggest thing. And then from there it was, I remember it being very hard at one point because it was quite a hard adapt. Like we talked about it and then Yoga sent me a couple of movies to watch that, that weren't it but there was sort of stuff in it that he thought was interesting. Uh, and then I worked out what I the shape of it and then we talk, you know, we did what we do, which is have lunch and then talk about it for a bit. Um, we talked about it for a bit and then I went away and um, tried to write it and it was very, I knew it was very hard and I, I remember the first, I remember like page 75 going, I don't think I can do this and I wrote to, I wrote to him, which is, this is a testament to Yorgos as a person to work with because it's not something you normally do, which literally I wrote, I don't think I can do this. I, think it, I said, it's so difficult to make this bit work and um, I don't know how to get there. And he wrote back very kindly and went, it, we knew it would be hard. Keep going. I think it will be worth it. Um, so then I got to the end of the first draft and it actually, first draft worked out pretty good. And from there, we just worked our way over the years to kind of refine it and get it better, yeah. 
what were some of the films that Yorgos mentioned? I know because I know the way you work, you don't really use literal reference points, but you do throw out a lot of um, just this whole constellation, you know, that the film might exist within. Um, they were, yeah, and they weren't literal. I think one was yeah. Belle de Jour and one was uh, and the ship uh, and the boats out on the Fellini film. Um, so with, did you think of these as like tonal reference points or? I mean, I don't know what it, it's just like this general feeling of. Yeah, there yeah, wasn't to this be vague. <laughs> That's yeah, what yeah. I, it wasn't like, to be taken literally. Yeah, it was very like these? I don't know. This is interesting, and in the world of yeah. something, we're thinking this is it's where more we think we are. Like yeah. look at what they've done. You know, like yeah. it's beautiful. Like and somehow there's a boat. You know, there's we're yeah. gonna <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna build sets. You yeah. know, she's in a brothel. She works in a brothel. You know what's the best movie? You know it, it's it's more it's much free. It's not it's not like look at this thing that aspect of it. It's it's like being inspired by great films that have some kind of you know connection and okay. so and then there were completely different films for other departments like you know mm -hmm. uh, so that's why it's so you know uh, huge the mm -hmm. the horizon of references. <laughs> Speaking of building sets, um, I'm glad we have both the production designers uh, here with us. Uh, Shona and James, could you talk a little bit? You had not worked together before this film? No, we hadn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, that was really deep. <laughs> I mean, the film is just such an incredible feat of world building. So I'm curious about where do you even begin with something like this, I mean, also not multiple worlds. How? What was the division of labor like? I guess between the two of you. So, um, I kind of start with grand sort of ideas of uh, the big sets, the big four, which are the London, Lisbon, Paris, and the ship, the kind of small one, and was really excited about building a composite, immersive world. You know, each one of those sets is like a real place. Um, you could go off the street into the, into the house in L L London and in um, Lisbon. Again, it was like a theme park. We built a theme park that you could totally get lost around. And when Bella's going, walking around the streets, and you know, you could do that, and crew did. Um, so that's what excited me about it, is starting that kind of grand idea and making immersive environments that, that, that Yorgos and Robbie and the cast can wander around. And then Shona comes from a totally different point, which I'll let you talk about, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think I, we, we sort of met in the middle. James did big and I did small up. So I started with the details and I think the details came from the narrative and from the script, the humour. We tried to put humour into the sets. There were doors that were cut in the wrong places. There were floors that were sort of bouncy and really annoying to film on. Um, and there were sort of walls that were padded to stop Bella from hurting herself like Godwin would have designed this house especially for her um, so I think that the details of all of those were where I started and Bella's character herself that she would need to be surrounded with beauty and also depictions of the outside world to keep her entertained in her ivory tower I suppose so there were landscapes on the walls and depictions of human life and flight. There were fishes on her ceiling, which she later traveled to Lisbon on, <laughs> which was useful. 
So, yeah, I think that we met very nicely in the middle. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the riveting new film, May December, from director Todd Haynes, starring Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, and newcomer Charles Melton, winner of the Gotham Award for Outstanding Supporting Performance. May December is a deliciously original, dark-edged melodrama, proclaims Time Out, and a feast of powerhouse acting, says the LA Times. Awards Daily raves, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore are spectacular, and Charles Melton's breakout performance is the soul of the film in this twisted, layered, and expertly written dark comedy. The rep declares, Todd Haynes has done something spellbinding, and the playlist says, Sammy Birch's script is incredible. May, December, available on Netflix for your awards consideration. And Yorgos, what was, I mean, your collaboration with Shona and James, you said you showed, you know, different films and talked about different things to different departments. What was your your brief for, for, for production design and building sets? What was my brief? Um, I, I think it was, yeah, that, uh, that you know, I, I as soon as I, I read the book and I imagined it, uh, making it into a film, I always thought that we should build the world for for Bella for her because it just felt that it needed to be her perspective and you know have it familiar but at the same time you know strange to us and just see it from a very unique perspective. So I always thought that this should be you know a movie that we shoot you know the old-fashioned way mm-hmm. in a studio, even exteriors we make it, you know we build them in a studio. Um, and use a lot of, uh, I wanted us to use a lot of old school techniques, but also new technology. But whatever we used and however we combined them, everything would have been first, you know, made by us. Even if it's like an LED screen behind the boat, for example, we've painted the sky and the sea and everything. So it was like using combining these old techniques with new technology or because we're using very wide angle lenses for example despite the fact that the the sets were huge we still had to you know uh, fill the top because we would see the you know the ceiling of the uh, uh, of the studio but that was again uh everything was scanned painted uh we we used actual you know uh, handmade stuff in order to f- fill uh, the rest of it. So I think that was the general uh, approach. And then we looked at, a, you know, many different things from films to paintings to photography to... Curious about the paintings. I noticed, like, all the credits for the museums um, and, 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 and the closing credit scroll. So obviously there were some art references. I think um, the references from you were we had a Hieronymus Bosch painting, Bosch, yeah. which um, actually when James and I would get sort of slightly lost as to what to do, <laughs> we just kept on which happened a lot. painting, um, <laughs> which Yorgos had sent us. And it was of birds and little people, but the colours in it and the surreality of it. And I suppose thinking out of the box, Bosch painted strange architectural shapes 
even in the 16th century. So we were out of era. So I think that was really helpful, having the paintings. Thank you. <laughs> a pleasure. Um, Holly, Just want, one painting. Yes. And they did all that. So I wanted to bring Holly in as a costume designer. Obviously, the costumes are such a big part of this film. Um, can you you talk a little bit about your reference points? Because it's in some ways they they seem to be riffing on 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 period costumes, but they're also contemporary and also even futuristic. You might say there's just the shapes and materials. And I'm just curious about your 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 process. Hello. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so, well, my reference from Yorgos was, I had one reference, and it was a pair of uh, inflatable trousers. And your, your pair of inflatable trousers? And I, I started off Didn't own them. doing a lot of, like, on my own at home, doing loads of ideas to do with clothes that were inflatable and <laughs> with these huge arms that look like lungs and body parts. And um, and then we just kind of simmered it all down, and I I span I, I cast the net very wide in the re in the references. So there's lots of it, the the costumes are mainly sort of framed with a sort of late 19th century silhouette, and we really went for the big sleeves of the 1890s, and that was to do with her kind of feeling more creature like because they're quite strange, and and also they're very empowering and um but i was also looking at a lot of early 20th century references i love elsa schiaparelli so i was very influenced by her work the 1930s surrealist fashion and also the 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 the, the fashion of the 60s and 70s the space age designers like courage and pierre cardin so those shoes that she wears are a, a kind of hybrid they're totally inspired by um some shoes that andre Andre Courage did with peep toes, and then we merged them with a Victorian boot. Um, and there, there's lots of there's lots of referencing. There are certain pieces that I could say were kind of totally inspired by a particular thing that I've seen that I've then, you know, grafted some sleeves onto or played with the shape. And so I just wanted to bring the two of you in to complete the picture and maybe talk about the sonic element of the film, uh, Johnny and, and, and Dreskin. Maybe, Johnny, you can start by talking about sound um, and how, how it worked for you in this film and your, your discussions with Yorgos and designing the soundscape. Yeah, it's a, hello. It's an interesting one, the sound, because uh, as my mother said to me once, um, what do you mean you do the sound on films? They sound all right to me. <laughs> and I thought, well, there is a bit of work that goes in, you know. So, uh, But really, it was... Um, about you know looking at the extraordinary performances and the and and the sets and just saying wow normal sound is is going to look out of place with with um you know with with what we with what we're looking at so it was about finding ways of presenting soundscapes that that were um subtle but unusual enough to to stand up against you know it, with so much other strong stuff happening basically so that and and um getting things like the the frog <coughs> Um, uh, to be sounding correct and to, to sound uh, worthy and also making the mix so that Jerskin, your music sounds fantastic. Well done. Uh, 
Uh, Drisken, can you say a little bit about... Is this your first film score? Yes. What were the two of you talking about in terms of the idea for the music, Yorgos and Drisken? Not much. <laughs> we, we didn't do any references. I think Yorgos specifically said that he didn't want any references and for me to listen to anything else uh, at all. Um, Ever. Again. <laughs> he's... <laughs> Um, and I guess like the the ce the central idea of a brief like that is try and come up with something that hasn't been come up with before. And if you're a young and kind of egotistical artist, you think um, that's a really exciting idea, and then you try and do it, and you realize, oh fuck, that's completely impossible. <laughs> and, um, so I, I I tried my best, and it, it came out all right. So you know, it was fine. Um, swear again let me know and i'll bleep oh yeah, yeah no, you're in charge of that yeah um i think what i mean one thing that was um i thought about i'm really i uh, one of the first things i considered was wind instruments i really like wind instruments and i think they're a bit underused in film music but also the idea of breath in instruments i think is super interesting and obviously a lot of the films uh ideas are about what you do with bodies and how you animate those and ideas of creation or divinity or um general animation and it, with wind instruments you kind of have two categories one is wind that comes from a person like a flute or a trumpet and another category is wind that kind of comes artificially so like you, you create a machine that breathes on your behalf like a pipe organ or a bagpipe and a weird thing you have in common with mount, like human wind instruments like a trumpet or a flute is they can bend very easily. And you're very used to hearing people's voices bend when they speak, because when, when you're saying sentences like I am, it's basically lots of individual note pitches, but they kind of go up and down. Um, so it's very, if you hear a trombone or a saxophone and it bends a bit, that's quite normal. But you'd never really hear it with wind instruments which are um, have artificial breath. They're very straight, like a pipe organ, it's all straight notes, you don't bend it. Um, and I think I started trying to play with what would happen if you started to bend artificial wind and it's quite unnerving. And I think in the scarier parts of the score, um, a lot of it's down to this. And I think weirdly there's a commonality between that and it's like when you see a, like a dead body used as a puppet or something, it's like this weird animation of something that shouldn't be alive, but it's acting in a human way. And so that kind of plays in a bit to the fact that, you know, the main character is arguably, you know, in some ways a zombie. And there's that real oddness that occasionally pops up a bit. Thank you. All right, we, we don't have much time, so I'm going to just ask a last question. It's been amazing to have all of you here. I think the film is such a showcase of, of craft, so to hear you all talk about it has been amazing. But I do want to end by talk, you know, having you, Yorgos, maybe speak about somebody who isn't here, who's a very big part of the film. Um, incredible cast, but Emma Stone um, really... Also a producer of the film. Yes. Well, it has been, unfortunately, my task to speak for her. Hopefully, soon enough, she'll be able to join us. She's obviously devastated that she can't be with us all. She's been, you know, on this very early on since we started writing the script with Tony because it happened during The Favourite. When we were working together, I, I mentioned it to her and she completely uh, got on board immediately. Um, and 
you know, she just naturally became a producer as well because she just wanted to know everything about everything, not just the script, but like the world and who else we were going to be working with, the other actors. Um, so it, it's unfortunate that she cannot enjoy, you know, uh, these experiences of sharing the film uh, with all of you. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think she, she, as I've said before, like, because for me the most important thing and what drew me to the to the novel and to make the film was the character and she she you know she did it she is the the film and um i i think she, i think she did a, a an incredible work that i could not ever you know tell her how to do so uh you know we we all owe it all to her uh, and of course, all all the other actors um, who had a wonderful time during rehearsals um, uh, with everybody, and um, as we usually do, we just you know played a lot of games basically, and uh, just got comfortable with each other. And uh, what kind of games? <laughs> just you know, theater games. Um, uh, what a theater game! <laughs> <laughs> what are theater games? Okay, everybody stand up. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it's just like a, a lot of physical uh, activities. Like I remember, for example, um, you know, I had them rolling around on the ground, and every now and then I would uh say someone's name and they had to get up and go over the other people that were rolling around uh and during that time they would kind of do their dialogue uh and then uh the next the next day rami came to me with a note from his doctor and said that it rolling around makes him too sick so he can't do it today <laughs> <laughs> so things like that well it especially pains us that Emma isn't here because she's also in two other films at the festival, one of them directed by you, yes. which we will show in a few days, um, a short film called Bleat, which we'll be showing with a um, live accompaniment. Um, it's standby only, but uh, you can try to get tickets. And please, please come. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a very special evening, so I'm glad we're showing that as well. Um, and I want to thank all of you for this extraordinary film. Thank you. Thank you.